For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Malachi chapter 4 contains the last words that God spoke to his people before the coming of John the Baptist. We can deduce very little about Malachi the man, other than that he almost certainly ministered in the days of Nehemiah, which places him uh, in the around the year 400 BC, 400 years before Christ was born. The prophecies of Malachi, therefore, um, are really important because they are the words that God intended to have his people have ringing in their ears while they waited and waited and waited for the coming Messiah. They waited 400 years before John the Baptist would come and then announce Jesus' coming. So Malachi, it's, like, it's sort of like someone's last words, like on their deathbed or something. It's the last words. It's the thing to sort of really hold and pay attention to, as in fact the Jewish people did in keeping their expectancy of the Messiah alive. And as the church, we still listen to expectantly. Yeah, we're still waiting. Nice. Actually, to anticipate um, where I'm going, to, exactly, there are prophecies in Malachi we're still waiting to see the fulfillment for. That's actually, the th- you're tracking, we're on the same wave like this morning, Rick. Um, when, remember the Christmas story, when the angel Gabriel uh, announces to Zechariah that he's going to have a son who'll be John the Baptist, what prophecy does the angel Gabriel bring forward? Malachi. Listen to Luke 117. Your son, so the angel speaking to Zechariah about John the Baptist, will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Does that that phrase sound familiar? You just heard it in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. So what we see is Malachi is the last link in this long link of a thousand years of prophecy and records of God's work that make up the Old Testament. Um, we have this last link of the chain that is the next The next link that comes is John the Baptist. And it's connected on the other end. 400 years later, the angel says, here finally the prophecy of Malachi will find the beginning of its fulfillment. It's uh, the link between the Old Testament and the New. And one of the things I want to um, communicate this morning is that Old Testament prophecies are always about one or more than one of three things. Either events in the immediate near future of the prophet, the first coming of Christ on Christmas, uh, or the second coming of Christ. And what's amazing about the scriptures is sometimes you get one, two, or even all three of these things all interwoven at once. Um, an image that I, find, I think is really useful for trying to understand, because sometimes when you're reading the prophets, do you ever have this experience where it's like, whoa, what are we talking about right now? Right? It's like it seems to jump over the place, and it's kind of tricky to understand. The thing that helps it make sense so much to me is if you think of a, a mountain range, Think of three mountains. And if you're sitting where you sit, you would see, oh, look, there's three mountains in a mountain range. If you ever get to go to Colorado, you can see something like this, right? Um, But if you're standing over on this side of the mountain range, it kind of just looks like one peak, right? They would be in succession. And you could see there's some contours and some differences, but it would just look like one thing. And so much of the Old Testament prophecy is of that quality. They're describing three different things often 
But in this sort of jumbled, it's hard to pick out which way is which. Only when we see the larger scope of biblical history can we see, oh, so think about Isaiah. Um, He prophesied about Cyrus, the political liberator of Israel, right? And in the midst of that prophecy, all of a sudden there's these teachings that really clearly apply to Jesus. And it's like, what's going on here? Well, Jesus will be the ultimate spiritual liberator of his people, right? So we see things about Cyrus and then Jesus and these prophecies that they interweave. Do you see how that could work that way? Okay. Um, In Malachi then, what we have chiefly is prophecy about the second coming of Christ. Um, There are some things about the first coming, for instance, what we see with John the Baptist, but note how the angel says it. Malachi says Elijah will come. The angel says about John the Baptist, your son will be in the spirit of Elijah. And then check this out. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says about the second coming, Elijah is still to come. Like, whoa, wait, didn't he already come? In? No, there's a double fulfillment prophecy. This is one of those mountain range prophecies where it's, we're going to see in the first coming things which are sort of made more full in the second coming of Christ. So John the Baptist comes like Elijah to announce Jesus' first coming into the world. And one of the mysterious prophecies of the old te- of the Bible is that um, Elijah is will come again to announce the second coming of Christ. Now this is really sort of like sci-fi movie stuff, right? How does this work? I don't know how it works, but it is interesting that Elijah is one of two people that don't die. Right? That's a very interesting point that he doesn't die; he gets swept up into heaven in a chariot of fire, whatever that is, right? Elijah is still to come. One way of thinking about this is um, that many prophecies have a double layer of fulfillment according to the two comings of Christ. So um, while Malachi is giving direction about things that would be manifest when Jesus first came to earth, there's much that we're still waiting for, as Rick said. Um, And that's something I think that we maybe don't fully appreciate as Christians, is that there's prophecies outstanding in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that we're still waiting to see fulfilled. All of God's truth finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, but there are specific prophecies we're still waiting for, right? The wicked have not been gathered up like stubble on the great day of the Lord. That hasn't happened yet. Even John the Baptist's own preaching. Contrast the difference between the message of John the Baptist and what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, right? John the Baptist is like, the sickle is laid to the thing, the axe is at the root of the tree, the fire is coming. And then Jesus comes healing people and hugging children, right? I mean, he also turned over tables and cast out demons and was crucified, but it was different than what John was prophesying, which means John was, like like all prophets, he was seeing the full scope of what was going to happen, that there's Jesus will come first um, as Savior, but on the last day he'll come as judge. On the last day he'll come as judge. What I want you to remember, too, is that... um, I grew up in the church, and I still, for a long time, had this idea that the Old Testament, well, those are kind of the words of people. And I love that liturgically, we have the exact same response for the Old Testament as for the New, the Word of the Lord. Right? Malachi is not some charlatan Nostradamus, just like shooting in the dark. It's the same God that we worship, the same Father of Jesus Christ who spoke through Malachi. Right? So these are eternal words. Remember, Jesus says not... Um, a jot of the law of the, and the prophets will, will pass away. God himself gives us this message. So the same God who tells us that he loves us so much that he'd give his only begotten son, right? as Martin Luther called John 3.16, the Bible within the Bible. 
Um, the same God um, who pours out blessing on us of material provision and spiritual benefit of the gospel, that same God is the one who preached through Malachi. There's not two gods. There's one God, and he speaks a message that is both comforting and warning. And what we see in Malachi and what we're going to see in these early weeks of the sort of the close of the church year um, towards Advent is also uh, is, is more about the warnings. Um, so in Malachi chapter 3 and 4, we have these prophecies about the great day of the Lord. And what I want to say is I think a lot of time and writing has been wasted trying to figure out all of the little details of the sequence of the end times, about what happens what, and then what, and then what, and then what. And to me, it's like, you ever hear that phrase? I don't know if you use it over here in America, but about rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, to use that phrase. It's just rearranging the deck chairs. The big fact is the boat's going down, right? That's the point of all end times is that it all culminates in the great day of the Lord when Jesus comes back. That is the big, that's the headline, right? The rest are, are details. And God tells us about what's going to happen. This prophecy we're waiting to be fulfilled, it's worth paying attention to. Actually, would you flip open to a Bible? Because I want you to see it on the page. I'm not making this up. I don't desire to preach doom and gloom. It's that the scripture teaches these things. So on page 802 in the Pew Bible, the end of Malachi chapter 3, if you're on your own Bible, I'm going to begin at verse 17. I'll give you a few seconds to find it. It's easy because it's just before the Gospels. So if you're in the New Testament, just keep going back until you bump out of Matthew and you'll be in Malachi. So God tells us about this day um, information that we need to know. Look at verse 17. The first thing to know is that those who serve God, verse 17, will be gathered to him. Right? The, it, a word of comfort. Do you see the resonance of Jesus' own message when he tells the story of the sheep and the goats? The sheep will be gathered to him. The first word is a word of comfort, right? A word of encouragement. And I love this. And look at verse 17. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. I, I just delighted in finding this verse in preparation for today as sort of like what a distillation of the gospel, of how of how we are saved. It's a, as the sons who serve him. Not just the sons, not just those who were circumcised into Israel, not just those who've been baptized, the sons who also serve the Lord. But not as servants, right? It's not just servants, it's the very sons, the children. A son who serves him. That phrase I can't get out of my ears. But then the second thing we see in verse 18 is that the righteous shall be separated from the wicked. Um, do you see how in verse 18 it says, you shall see the distinction? You shall see the distinction. God is speaking through Malachi to address the grumbling that the Jewish people we see witnessed in verse 14, that people were saying, man, you can live a wicked life and the outcome's fine. And you can serve God and what do you get for it? Does that sound familiar? It's always the temptation. Where's the, where's the outcome, Lord? Like, where's the blessing? And what God says is, you're just, your, your lens is too small. Sure, for 10, 20 years, they might be doing fine. Zoom out. Look at the bigger outcome. You will see the distinction. God promises us. I promise you'll see the distinction. It might seem like your heathen friends who could care less about God are doing much better than you and more comfortable and blessed in ways that you wish that you were. And it's just a temporary illusion. The bigger picture reveals the truth. 
the, the final outcomes will distinguish very plainly between the righteous and the wicked. Chapter 4, verse 1, describes the outcome of the wicked in, um, in terrifying imagery. They will be like wheat stubble in an oven. The day that is coming, the day that Jesus returns, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord. I think we mention hell too glibly as Christians because we don't actually weigh the gravity with which the Bible speaks about it. It's never something to be thrown around as a phrase or sort of lightly like, oh, going to hell. Hell is terrifying and horrible, like set ablaze. It's the same picture that Jesus himself teaches when he teaches over and over about hell, about a a miserable fire. Malachi says that there's no escaping it in this cryptic phrase, it will leave them neither root nor branch. Um, If you cut off the branch of a plant, could it still grow maybe? Yeah. If it's like a vine and you cut everything but the root, could it come back? Yeah. But if it's cut down root and branch, is that plant going anywhere? That's the imagery, that this is irreversible. Um, It's such a startling thought that I love the Spirit's tenderness. Look what happens in verse 2. We get this horrifying image in verse 1 horrifying but then verse 2 right back again to the gospel but for you who fear my name the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings what who what's that a picture of who's the son of righteousness jesus right this is a a metaphor, a word picture. Of, and the Bible uses many of them. He's the wisdom of God. He's the word of God. Right? He's the, he's the captain of the angel hosts. He's the son of righteousness. And when we see him, it will be like a warm dawn after a cold night. The son of righteousness with healing in its wings. And this is one of those prophecies that we see fulfilled in part when Jesus came the first time. And we're still waiting for the fullness of. right? He, healing, as we learned in catechism class today, it's part of what sanctification is. When we become less selfish and self-absorbed and by God's grace begin to pay attention to him and to serve others, right, that's actually our souls getting healed now. The healing has already come in his wings. But at his second coming, it won't just be sort of the inner man, it will be the outer man. Right? Healing for our bodies. Right? When death is cast away, when sickness is no more. As you read in Isaiah, the great Advent book, if you're reading along in the daily office readings, um, when every tear will be wiped away from every face. A healing for our bodies will come when the Son of Righteousness comes on the last day. You'll notice um, that we switched to purple a couple weeks early uh, for Advent because the themes of Advent are always simultaneously paying attention to the first coming of Christ at Christmas and the second coming that we're still waiting for, and they interla- they interweave, right? We already would call Jesus the Son of Righteousness, but he's only dawned in the hearts of those who follow him right now. When he comes again, it will be for everybody to see. Right? First he came in obscurity. When he comes again, the whole world will see him at once. On that great and terrible day, When all of mankind, there's no third option, will be separated into two camps. The righteous with the righteous, the wicked with the wicked. The wicked will be punished, the righteous will be saved. The Bible has a pretty simple message, really, if you can keep in mind two things. There it is. The only way to be rescued from the great mass of the wicked 
is stop doing wickedness. It's pretty simple again. What was jo- That's just a, a, another way of saying the word repent. right? Stop doing that thing. And what was John the Baptist's message? Repent. Now note that I'm saying you, you don't get saved by just stopping doing wickedness, but that's how not to be lumped along with the wicked. To be counted among those who are saved, the sons who serve him. We have to be sons adopted by his grace through no merit of our own. And we have to serve him as sons. Right? That's what we saw in that wonderful gospel phrase. He will gather those, his sons who serve him. And I love that other image. Um, oh, I forgot to write down the verse number, so let me look it up. The great hope, I love, and there's so many images that we can keep before our eyes this week, uh, and hopefully through all of Advent, is that as those who are found in Christ Jesus, who are sons and daughters, who are serving him, the hope of the last day, uh, we see, what verse is it? At the end of verse 2, our hope is that we will go out leaping like calves from the stall. I've never seen a calf leap from a stall. Any of you who have land ever seen that? Have you ever seen a calf leap from a stall? But I imagine it's a really happy sight. I think I've seen something like it in documentaries. You know, like just this young calf leaping and bounding. And that actually, that's the way that as we draw nearer to the Lord, the prospect of death and the second coming, which are naturally terrifying, actually become a source of joy. Um, a, a, a readiness, like a calf from the stall. Like, Lord, I'm ready to see you. I'm, I'm ready to die. That's not our natural inclination. That's someone who loves God, who's been adopted as a son, who's been serving him for a lifetime. And I think that's the hope that we have for Advent. And it's really that's the sort of complex message depending on where you find yourself this morning. The Bible has medicine for all comers. Right? If you in your heart you know you've been not serving the Lord, even though he's called you his son or daughter, then that picture of hell should rightly be scary. And if you have been seeking and serving him, then that comfort, that image of a, a son of righteousness, if you've been enduring long pain, can be a hope. I can't wait so that the healing comes from in the wings. Uh, and the hope, ultimately, that the second coming will be a cause of our, the, the fullness of our salvation. And so we can uh, rejoice about it like a calf leaping from the stall. I need to go look up a YouTube video of that on the way home to, to picture it more clearly. But... Uh, keep this prophecy of Malachi in mind this week and for Advent. And whichever parts sort of stick out to you, that's the part that the Lord wants you to hear. And maybe next Advent it's a different part. That's the wonderful thing about the journey towards God is that the Bible is always meeting us where we're at right now. Amen.